Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
Praise 
exalted now in the heavens as your glory fills this place you alone deserve our praise you're the name above all names be exalted now in the heavens as your glory fills this place you alone deserve our praise you're the your glory fills this place. You alone deserve our praise. You're the name above all Uh, sitting there, I don't, I don't know if God speaks to you during praise and worship, um, but he was reminding me, I don't know who this is for, but he was reminding me of the Israelites um, getting ready to head into the promised land a second time, and he reminded me how the Israelites uh, were called to cross the Jordan River, and I believe it was at flood, flood stage, right? And he reminded me that he didn't part that until they stepped into that, right? Like, I would want him, hey, can you part that, then I'll go through? Like, will you make the way, then I'll go through? That's me and my human understanding. But he waited until they stepped in there, and then it happened. So I don't know if God is calling somebody in here to take a step of faith through a raging river at flood stage, and you're looking at that river, and you're saying, I don't see a way through that. Will you take that step? Whatever that is that he's calling you to, and trust him to part the waters, right? Whatever that may mean. All right. Well, uh, it seems like I I wanted to go to the book of Revelation today and talk about the mark of the beast. Uh, I don't know if you guys know anything about the mark of the beast, but it seems like every few months there is something that comes out, and people link that to being the mark of the beast. I've been around a long time, almost 50 years. Uh, Happy birthday, Rob, by the way. Is he in here? He's gone. He went out. All right, tell him I said happy birthday when he comes back in here. All right. Uh, happy birthday, Rob. Yes. But I've been around. What's that? 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, um, like I said, I've been around a, a long time, and I remember the, the, the first thing that I heard about the Mark of the Beast was when barcodes came out. We're talking 70s and 80s when those came out, and people thought that that was surely the, the Mark of the Beast. Revelation 13, 15 through 18 says this. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. And we, we find out that number is 666, right? That, like I said, the first thing I remember was that barcode that came out. And then I remember um, probably a couple decades ago, people thought, well, you know, maybe it's not the barcode, but maybe uh, people would have barcodes placed on them, things that could be scanned. Maybe it would be a barcode on their wrist, and so they would purchase something and then scan that barcode, and then maybe that was that thing. In recent years, I don't know if you remember when COVID came out. Remember, the COVID vaccine was linked to the mark of the beast. And um, in particular, the COVID vaccine card that was given out. Remember, if you got the COVID vaccine, you had that little card, right? And, and you could only do certain things. Like, you could not go on maybe a trip if you didn't have that card, and so people link that to being the mark of the beast. Um, here recently, uh, within the last couple of years, we've been talking about putting microchips underneath people's skin, and you could use that to scan and check out at a, at a place or purchase things. A month or two ago, somebody put on Facebook, showed a video of a lady, uh, I don't know where she was, maybe Whole Foods. And she went up to the scanner, and she put her palm over it, and it scanned her palm, right? And she was able to purchase her, her groceries through that. And, of course, the talk was, is this the mark of the beast? Amazon has this biometric scanner. They've been working on it and talking about it in, in Whole Foods for, for years as well. Am I worried about these things? No. No. They don't scare me. The talk of cashless societies with these things? That scares me, right? Uh, because then if we have a cashless society and we are dependent on those things, then our government can control what we purchase and what we have to bow down to in order to purchase those things. So I'd be more scared about these things when we, when we go cashless, which I don't know how long that's going to be, but that's on its way. I, I don't know if you know about PayPal. I, I was a, a big user of PayPal in the eBay days when I was doing a lot of things. And, and PayPal is this, this online system where you can buy and purchase things and people can send you money and pay for things. And, and PayPal has taken a stance with new ownership that uh, if they don't like the business that you're doing, they won't do business with you. So they've cut people off of using it. That's what we're looking at if we go cashless. And that's the thing I think to, to really be, be worried about. Why do, I, why do I bring this up? Because this is something that causes a lot of people fear, right? And, and we're, we're scared about these things. Do I think it's coming? Yeah, someday. Uh, someday soon, maybe. I don't know. But I want to help you be prepared for it if it does come in your lifetime, I, if it comes in your kids' lifetime, if it comes in your grandkids' lifetimes. Maybe this is something that you can pass on to him. You know, we might face that choice. Do I take the mark of the beast, right, in order to, to purchase things? Um, we're going to start in Revelation chapter 2. We're going to get there in a while, though. I want to do a lot of context and look at some things. We, we usually look at the book of Revelation to see when is Jesus coming back again. We're trying to see uh, human events and where they fit in with the book of Revelation and when will Christ return, what's going to happen to or in the future. Um, we, we, we read it. We interpret it. We fight about it, right? Um, there's a lot of fights about the book of Revelation, and we all have this idea, I think, of what we believe about it. But, but today, can we be reminded of why it was written, right? What was the purpose of it? It was meant to give its readers hope. Hope in very difficult, trying times. 
And that's what we should get out of it when we read it again today. I, I think we all see where we're headed. Trying times. Hard times. Right? Um, Americans are getting a little taste of what the rest of the world has been dealing with for much longer than us. And we're freaking out and thinking that everything's coming to a head. And, and maybe it is. But if that happens, let's be reminded of the hope that we have, right? So I'd like to take you back to biblical times and to the city of Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus at the end of the first century would have, would have, um, have been one of the churches that would have first read this revelation, this, this book, and, and heard the hope that it brought. Here, here's the context, all right? Ephesus was a, what we'd call a bridge city situated between the east and the west. At this time, the Roman Empire ruled much of the world, ruled much of the world, right, from Britain to India. So you had this massive world empire, and at the edge of this empire was the city of Ephesus. The east, Asia, was where you had, you had spices, you had silks, you had fabrics, and all sorts of natural goods that the Western world was trying to, to get. So Ephesus became this, this global marketplace of buying and selling between these two areas. Uh, as I said, Ephesus was ruled by Rome at the end of the first century, and, and in particular ruled by the Caesars, right? The, these emperors were believed at this time to be gods, right? There was emperor worship that was going on, and, and uh, these emperors called people, especially out in this area, to bow down and worship them. The first Caesar that we have that we know about is Julius Caesar, right? Julius Caesar uh, rules to roughly 44 B.C. Uh, in 42 B.C., the Senate of Rome deified him. The Senate of Rome declared him to be a god. Specifically, he was worshipped as the father. All right? Uh, Octavian, who is Julius's adopted son, who would later become the next one, uh, was given the name Augustus. And Augustus means worthy of reverence. He was also seen as a god. And Augustus is worshipped as the son of God. Keep this in mind, all right? In 17 BC, there's an uncommon star that appears in the sky. Some people believe it was a comet. And Augustus noted in his memoirs, if you read that, that the common people believed that this star signified that the soul of Caesar had been received among the gods. And so he commands a, a celebration of this sign. And Virgil, the poet, pronounced this. This sign was the turning point of the ages. The time had come. And this is where really emperor worship exploded. Think about the timing, though. 17 B.C., What's about to happen, right? At this time period, there was a ton of prophecy. Pagan, astrological, and other in nature. There was all these things happening, all these astronomical alignments happening on. Nature was pointing to something that was about to happen. Do you remember uh, the account of the wise men? following the star. They were looking for this. These, these weren't followers of, of Jesus or, or God. These were people from the east, and they, were, they knew something was about to happen at this time. They just didn't know what it was, something big. So when Augustus is in power, the question of the Roman Empire that's posed to him was this. Are you the one who is to come? That was the question that was posed to him. And we see Augustus begin a campaign as the son of God and sends people out declaring a gospel message. The good news of him being the son of God, God incarnate, sent to the earth to bring about universal peace and prosperity. Now, under Augustus, the Roman Empire flourished, right? Uh, he brought about peace. There was a lot of civil wars after Julius Caesar died and people buying for power. But later on, he takes over and he brings peace to the land. And Augustus is inaugurated in and a celebration of his div divinity and of his arrival takes place. The one who had been prophesied. He had a 12-day celebration called an Advent. People saw him, especially in the East, as the Savior. That's who they thought he was because he stabilized the Roman Empire. And we see emperor worship grow 
bigger and bigger over time. Now, Augustus is succeeded by Caesar Tiberius. Uh, A bit of a problem happens, though. You see, Julius Caesar died, and then Augustus died, and then around 37 AD, Tiberius also dies. Now, what's also happening at that time? Compare that to this group of former Jews, right, who, who also have a leader, a king, who also dies, right? But then he comes back to life, right? And this is witnessed by over 500 people. So emperor worship began to be in conflict with Christianity. This, this conflict escalates, especially under a Caesar named Nero. He hates this group. He, he even blames the Christians for a fire that broke out and devastated a large part of Rome. It, and, and people even think he's the one who started this fire. But he, but he blames the Christians. So Christians become the scapegoat, right? If ever there's a famine or some natural disaster or some poor economic term, Christians get the blame because they're not worshiping the true God Caesar, right? They're worshiping this Jesus. So a conflict, a persecution really begins because these Christians would not bow down. After, after um, Nero, uh, a little bit later, Domitian takes over. Domitian, we've talked about him before. He was a horrible person who did uh, brutal things. But he embraced this idea of being divine. He would begin his letters by saying this, Our Lord and our God commands you. Speaking of himself, right? He had statues that showed himself with a scroll. A scroll back then was a key symbol of a Caesar being legitimate, was being able and having the right to rule. This scroll, this scroll was symbolic of all the names and all the rights and all the entitlements that a Caesar had to rule. Only a Caesar could open the scroll. Only a Caesar could hold the scroll. And only a Caesar had the right to rule the world. Right? There's only one Caesar. And because Caesar could open this scroll, he could declare his godness and, and declare his right to direct, uh, really, the course of human history. Now, Domitian inaugurated a, a games, a, like a Olympic Games, which he called the Domitian Games. He had uh, a basically Olympics in his own honor. So picture a stadium filled with tens of thousands of people, maybe 50,000, 60,000 people, all coming to this Olympics. And he would, he would begin by speaking to the various leaders of different regions that were reporting to him. And he would address them. And he would say, I have this for you, right, to the leader of such and such process, province, and he'd list some things. And then to other people, he would say, I have this against you, and if you do not stop doing these things, I will come and remove you. So he would go through the various religions. Keep this in mind as we get on a little bit into the Scripture. Then they would begin the worship portion, and people would come down and, and begin to worship him. He had a group of peace, priests who were employed to do this. These priests would have been dressed in white. And they wore crowns of gold on their head. And these crowns had written on on them um, titles of Domitian as a way of reminding him that he was worthy to be worshipped. And some of the things that were part of the worship liturgy would be this. Listen to this. Great are you, our Lord and God. Worthy are you to receive honor and power and glory. Worthy are you, Lord of the earth, to inherit the kingdom. Lord of lords, highest of the high, Lord of the earth, God of all things, Lord God and Savior for eternity. Sound familiar? This was the Domitian Games. Now, Domitian, the emperor, picked Ephesus as the headquarters near the end of his, uh, the first century. He had altars built there. There was temples dedicated to him. And, and Domitian would come through on special days like his birthday, and, and all the city would turn out and, for this parade of him coming through there. And he would stop at these various altars, and he would require that all the people bow down and worship him and acknowledge him as God. And then they would proceed to the next altar, and, and that next crowd then would be called to do the same things. If you didn't, I mean, if you were the person where, where everybody bowed down and worshiped, and you stood up there, right, and you didn't bow down, you'd be killed, 
you'd be put to death, right? He wasn't messing around here. You can't let somebody defy you, especially publicly of your divinity, so he'd just have him wiped out. One of the other ways that he would enforce this worship of him was that in order to buy and sell in the marketplace, which was called the Agora, you had to first make an offering to Caesar, right, and acknowledge him. They would have these stands where you'd go up and, and do this incense thing or, 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 or offer this uh, sacrifice to him, acknowledging him as God. And then you were able to buy and sell. Sound familiar? Right? Now, the Jews and the Gentiles keep this in mind, right? Who had, who had come, become Christians at the end of the first century, right? They had a problem this, with this because we only recognize one God, right? We only recognize one ruler, and Caesar was not him. And, and we say that, and they said that anybody claiming to be God was an agent of the devil. And the, the devil was described as a dragon, and an agent of the dragon was known as a beast, right? So the question in Ephesus at the end of the first century was this, do I take the mark of the beast in order to buy and sell? Imagine you're one of those first century Christians, right? Maybe you're a seamstress and maybe you have several kids. You buy fabric in the East and maybe you create dresses or make clothing and you sell it. You know, this is how you feed your family. One day you hear the good news and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and acknowledge him as Lord, right? You, you commit to this revolutionary community and your life has changed, but you show up at the marketplace and they say, you don't have the mark. You can't buy and sell. You need to go worship Caesar, get the mark, and then you can come and trade. What do you do, right? What do you do? What does the Christian farmer do when they want to sell their, their goods? What does the person who makes sandals do? What does the carpenter do? What does the, the, the silk dealer, the blacksmith who's a Christian, what choice do you, do you have? I've got to feed my family, right? But there's only one God, and it's not the emperor. Do I take the mark of the beast or not? This was what life was like at the end of the first century in Ephesus. This is what Christ followers faced. What would you do? Do I take a stand and forfeit my life, or I'd take the mark and had the ability to buy and sell. A, a, a group of people called the Nicolaitans had, a, had an idea. They said, I can just go through the motions. I can, I can bow down, but just not mean it in my heart. I, I can take the mark, right? I can go and, and, and offer that incense and get that, that mark of ashes or ink on my, on my right hand or on my forehead, right? And just not mean it, but just play the game and then go ahead and do that. Um, that was the Nicolaitans' plan. What would you do, right? Well, many Christians didn't bow down, and many Christians played, paid with it with their lives. This infuriated Domitian, right? One, one historian named Ethel Bergstoffer said this, Domitian was the first emperor to understand that behind the Christian movement there stood an enigmatic figure who threatened the glory of the emperors. Domitian was the first to declare war on this figure, right? And as a result, many Christians forfeited their lives. But what he found out was that he couldn't stamp out Christianity, right? Uh, outside the Bible, there's an account, there's a claim that Domitian called the pastor of the church of Ephesus to meet with him. This pastor also refused to bow down, and so Tertullian claims that Domitian had this pastor thrown into a vat of boiling oil, but he survived. And not knowing what to do with this pastor, he exiled him to the island of Patmos. A harsh military place where he was forced to live in a cave, right? While he was there, he's given a vision from Jesus, right? A vision, and he wrote down what was revealed to him. That pastor was the Apostle John, right? And, and we know that that recorded vision is what we have in here. It's the book of Revelation, right? This is the context that we need to have in order to understand the book of Revelation. What was going on? 
what were the people facing, right? Because this would have been the group that would have first received this revelation, right? This book, yes, tells of, of a coming Jesus and, and, and what will happen and when will happen generally, right? But it's also, better yet, even a, a source of great hope for us. Great hope in at times of very trying times when people are facing death. Do I think that day is coming for us? Like I said, um, where we're all called to bow down, maybe that day is already here in, in certain areas, and maybe, yeah, persecution and facing death will, will come. Maybe it's not us. Maybe it's our grandkids, right? Uh, I don't know, but I want us to be prepared. And this is a great way to do that. Revelation chapter 2. This is, this is the letter written to the church in Revelation to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. These are the words of, of Jesus, right? I know your deeds, your hard work. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and I have found them and have found them to be false. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent. And do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from, the plate, from its place. But you have this in favor. You hate the Nicolaitans, the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. If you were wondering if you could bow down right and just not mean it in your heart, there's your answer, right? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat. From the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Notice Revelation 2:2, right? I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Verse 3, you have persevered and endured hardship. Yes, right? We can say praise God for that. But verse 4, yet I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love. For for this church, they had the integrity. Right to, to call out evil. They had, a, they had perseverance in the face of great trials and pain and hardship, right? To, to not bow down and abandon their God. Uh, not bow down, but they abandoned their first love, right? They were like a marriage where a spouse does everything that they should, right? Uh, maybe the spouse cooks and cleans and, and does laundry, or maybe the spouse goes to work and, and, and uh, provides for his family, but that spouse doesn't love their wife or husband, right? They had abandoned their first love. They were, they were moving from a place of loving God to orthodoxy, to ritual, just going through the motions, how does your heart, though, not grow cold when you're in this painful world, though, right, that they lived in? How do you stop it from going cold, right, when you're facing death, when you're facing the loss of liberty and, and freedom, right? Where do you find the hope to go on, the hope to keep standing, the, the hope to not bow down in, in the face of all this? Well, you have to look at eternity, Right? You have to look at and realize that this time on this earth is just temporary. It's over in a blink of an eye, right? And you have to remember verse 7. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It's hard to look forward Right? Can you imagine what, what these people had to have been thinking that were going through all this? Right? I chose to follow Christ. I believe he's the God of the universe. Why is this stuff happening then? Why isn't he doing something about it? Why isn't he stopping us? This, this choice that they made to follow Christ cost them everything. It cost them their lives at times. It cost them the lives of their families. It cost them their livelihood. How could they be following the one true God if this was the result of that? They had to have wondered if they placed their faith in the wrong God. Maybe Domitian, maybe the emperor is God. Maybe I got it all wrong, right? Maybe he's the one that we should worship. 
Turn to Revelation chapter 4. John gets an incredible glimpse, right, into the throne room of God. And I just want to read 4 and 5, two chapters. Bear with me. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard first speaking to me was like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the room, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in the front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of these four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with the seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scrolls. No, no Domitian, right? No, no emperor could even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. In your blood, and with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them into a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousands. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. John saw the throne room of God, right? And there was no Caesar on any throne there. 
Only God with Jesus standing at the center, right? Can you imagine what this letter would have meant to them who are facing all these horrible things, right? Am I following the wrong person? No. Because there's the one who was, who is, and is to come, right? Did I make a mistake putting my faith in Jesus Christ? No, because every voice on the earth, under the earth, in the sea was proclaiming him, right? That must, that vision must have given them great hope. I have a feeling that the people who heard this in Ephesus wept, right? Because they were real people in a real place where people were dying, where friends and neighbors were being slaughtered in the name of Jesus, right? But they see that won't be the end for them. There's an eternity to come, and Jesus in the center of that, right? The one who conquered sin and death. What will we do when we face trials? We must remember who sits on the throne? We must remember who's in the center of the throne room. We must not bow down no matter the cost, right? We have a lot of Domitians around us calling us to bow down, and I'm sure that will get worse. We have a lot of Nicolaitan Christians, right, around us calling us to compromise. But we must not. No matter what the cost is, no, it's not okay to bow. No, it's not okay to compromise, right? No, God won't understand it if we just don't meet it in our heart and we don't follow with what he calls us to do. He hates that practice. We must stand even in the face of death, not just for our sakes, but for the sakes of the ones to come who are following in our footsteps, right? Let me fast forward. If you, if you look 30, 40 years into the future after Domitian, Ephesus is 90% Christian. 85, that was the smallest number I could find, 85 to 90% Christian, right? Ephesus became a thriving center of worship for Jesus, right? Even in the face of the persecution that they experienced, I I know many gave their lives. Many, many were killed, right? But they stood. And it is a tremendous witness to those that are watching, to those who come after us. My friends, we have to stand when the world calls us to bow down, when the world calls us to compromise, we must stand. How do you do that? You have to keep your first love. You have to repent, right? And make that the priority. Next week, we're going to be starting the, the uh, Branch Life series. That's what that is entirely focused in on. And I can't wait to share that because we have to have our first love. We have to make that the priority. Amen? Would you stand with me? Invite somebody out next week. We're going to have a meal in here. We're going to celebrate uh, Shirley Vance. Can't wait to have her in here and, and to celebrate her. But we're also going to be talking about how to have a real relationship and what we need to do with Jesus Christ, right? But until then... I don't know what the world's calling you to bow down to right now. Don't compromise. Don't bow down. Whatever that is, there's too much at stake. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we give you all praise and honor and glory. Lord, we thank you for this glimpse into the throne room. We thank you for this glimpse in the future, Lord, and telling us what, what will be our faith, Lord. And I pray that you would put eternity on our hearts and this truth on our hearts, Lord. And I pray that when society comes and calls us to bow down, when society comes and calls us to take the mark of the beast, Lord, I pray that we would not, that we would stand, Lord. Yes, persecution is going to come. Yes, some of us may die. Maybe people in the future may die, Lord. Help us to stand in in the face of that. Help us to do it not only for our eternity, but to be an example for the ones to come for our kids, 
for our grandkids. Lord, do not let us compromise today, even in the small things, Lord. Set us apart. Sanctify us, Lord. Lord, we love you, and we give you praise and all honor. In your name we pray. Amen.